This episode is brought to you by ABC. Station 19 is back for its final and hottest season yet. Andy finally becomes captain, and she's going to give it her all to be the best leader this station has ever seen. Will she succeed? Get ready for fiery new romances and high adrenaline rescues. Watch the Station 19 season premiere tonight at a new time, 10, 9 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live on a Sunday, will there be a retrial in the Murrah hearings? We are going to go through the motion that was filed from by the defense as this retrial hearing approaches on the 29th of January. And there is the media hearing, which is on Tuesday, the day after the national holiday of Martin Luther King Day. I'm Collier Landry. Guys, welcome. Let's get into it. Testimony continued today in the most notorious criminal trial. When I was 12 years old, my testimony sent my father to prison for murdering my mother. I decided at an early age that our trauma should not be what defines us. It's what we choose to do with it that does. I'm here to share my unique perspective on true crime, mental health, society, and popular culture, albeit with a slight sense of humor. I'm Collier Landry, and welcome to my show. Live on a Sunday, Mover Nation, wherever you may be, however you may be listening or watching, thanks for making me a part of your day. We're doing an early episode today because normally I do these at 3 Pacific time, but my dear friends, Rachel and Danny, are getting married, so I am off to uh, watch them partake in their, what do they call it, nuptials, prenuptials, nuptials. Uh, I'm watching, I'm I'm getting ready at 4 o'clock today to see them off into a married couple as I turn off this noise-making device. Uh, so, yeah, kind of running around. Just so you know, I actually have a proper tuxedo jacket. I am not wearing this fun, fancy shirt. This is only for you guys, by the way. Uh, and as my father says, my adoptive father, George, says, uh, he makes the best wrong decision he can <laughs> today. <laughs> so, but my friends are not going to do that. They are going to be happily married, and it'll be wonderful and fun. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to that as we all dance the night away, as they <laughs> as they claim. Um, so big congratulations to what will be soon, Mr. and Mrs. Daniel Simmons. Uh, is that what you say? Is that how you say it? I don't know. I've never been married. Don't really have plans to. And, uh, you know, so I don't you, Do you say the man's name and then the last name or does it Mr. and Mrs. Rachel and Danny Daniel Simmons? Like, how does that work? Uh, I don't know. But anyways, welcome. So uh, I'm going to share with you guys a brief. Oh, Karen fan, yes, you have, uh, you are coughing away. For those of you, by the way, for those of you that are in the middle of, 
I don't even know what you call this. Is this an Arctic freeze? I mean, that's what it looks like, right? You know, I kvetch a lot on this program about uh, the weather here in Southern California, especially during the wintertime when it either rains or it gets really cold, uh, which is, to me, is in the low 40s, high 30s. <laughs> um, for those of you that are experiencing these, like, Arctic conditions, I'm really sorry because it, I've been watching the news and I see football games are getting postponed and it's a real mess. And uh, so I'm sorry. I hope you are all staying warm and cozy wherever you are at. Um and thank you for being here. Negative seven says Karen Pan. <coughs> Negative seven is, seven is rough. Uh, it is, yeah, it's probably, what is it, 50, 61 degrees, partly cloudy here in Southern California. So uh, there you have it. But anyways, um, so lots has been coming out as this, um, this media hearing with uh, Justice Jean Toll comes around on Tuesday, the 16th, January 16th, which is also, as I remember, my grandfather's birthday, my birth grandfather, so my father, John, his father, so my grandfather, uh, John Boyle Sr., uh, was born on January 16th. So um, I'm just remembering that. So he was a Capricorn. There you go. And he was a firefighter for the city of Philadelphia for many years, and he worked at the Philadelphia Inquirer as a journalist, um, or so I'm told. I don't know a lot about my family history, but sometimes uh, I get little nuggets here and there. Uh, oh, my. Can you guys hear me? It's always something with this show. Here I thought I was just talking away and making lots of sense. And um, <clears throat> I hope you uh, I hope you are negative 44. Obviously, you guys must be able to hear me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. At least I'm loud enough. At least I'm loud enough. Uh, oh, by the way. I just found out, so there's a, there is a restaurant that is down the street from me here in Santa Monica that has a line can like continually down the block. Thank you so much. I'm glad you hear that. Yes. Sorry guys. I had it turned up on the wrong channel on my device. This is a one man operation here outside of court McNeil. Who's, who's helping <laughs> in Alberta, Canada. Well, it's where it's negative 44 and Karen fan. Who's the website, per, who's our website creative, you know, juggernaut. Uh, it is a one-man show here in this operation, so sometimes I get it wrong. And I had to wait till my neighbors who were running up and down the stairs, their children were running up and down the stairs making lots of noise, which of course makes Marisol bark as well. So, um, and my hair is wet because I was in a rush to get, yeah, there's a lot going on, a lot going on today. But I found out that there's, there's this line that wraps around the, the, the whole thing. And I, and I said to my neighbor the other day, because he just rented a studio around the corner, and I said, hey man, I said, what, is, what are these places with these lines going on? Uh, and he goes, oh, well, they have bagels. And, you know, bagels are bagels, but, you know, I don't really associate uh, Los Angeles with the bagels, <laughs> with the bagels <laughs> or having good bagels. However, he said that uh, the reason why is because Justin Bieber and I believe Taylor Swift have both been spotted there in the last, like, month or so. So there is a line wrapped around the block to get into these places. And now I understand why. Apparently, they have really good bagels, apparently, but it really is for the celebrity watching, which does not surprise me at all because that's just how these things go. So we are going to get into this defense motion, which I did not cover the other day, and I'm going to put up on the screen for you guys. This is the defendant's pre-hearing brief, which was filed on January 10th. So today is the 14th, so that would have been Wednesday, <clears throat> which was after my show. But uh, this is referring to Alec Murdaugh's 
motion, a brief for the motion for a new trial. And as you know, and as I've talked about lots of times, the gift that keeps on giving, our author, our, our author extraordinaire, Becky Hill, is apparently, for those of you that don't know, here it is, I still have the book, yes. Becky Hill, our author extraordinaire, whose literal just, um, I don't know, behavior seems to be at the crux of all of this. And now there's a lot of talk of um, her potentially taking the fifth, pleading the fifth in this hearing and what that will, what kind of aggravation that will, that will cause the state of South Carolina as well. So there's a lot, a lot happening. And I want to take you guys through this brief. I am going to, uh, I'm going to put it on the screen. In one second, this is not what I was looking for. So, pre-file, pre-trial brief motion. Do do do. Here we are. And we can upload it. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Defendants pre-trial hearing, pre-hearing brief. I did this the other week with the Epstein documents. I'm getting quite familiar with how to do this. What's pink eye? Pink eye is something that you don't want to get. Pink eye is something you do not want to get. Who has Tim? Uh, who has? Oh, you're having C is the term adopted father. I have flashbacks of. Well, I need to specify because if you watch the intro to the show, you see my father who is currently incarcerated for the murder of my mother, and I have I was adopted when I was 13. Uh, by a loving family, uh, the Zigglers, and my adoptive father's name is George. So I just always, when, I, when, when quoting funny things, I want to make sure I sort of uh, delineate that for you guys. Uh, but uh, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, I'm sorry you have pink eye, Tina Luffman. That's terrible. Yes, uh, and you got to do like the compact. And I used to get, um, I used to get, uh, what do you call it? Um, styes in my eye, which my father gets in prison. My father who's in prison gets a lot uh, because prisons are dirty, as we all know. But I used to get them from eye cups from using cameras on set. So if the eye cups would get would get uh, a little dirty or whatever, and I would get this because it gets trapped in your tear ducts. And it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing. But I've been doing a lot of focusing on the eyes, which, by the way, still no glasses. The LASIK is working absolutely fantastic. And uh, here we go. We are adding this to the stage. So. God, I can even read this on the actual, I don't even need the actual proper document. So defendant Richard Alexander Murdoch. So his first name is, is Richard or Dick. Uh, though, through undersigned counsel, pursue it to rule, blah, blah, blah. We won't get into this. Um, but they have filed this. And what they have decided, if we go to... October 22nd. Here we go. Okay. The introduction. Mr. Murdaugh was indicted for the murder of his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul, on July 14th, 2022. His murder trial began January 23rd, 2023. The presiding judge was the Honorable Clifton Newman. Trial ran for six weeks, entering, ending in with convictions on the evening of March the 2nd, 2023, and sentencing on March 3rd. On October 27th, 2023, Mr. Murdaugh filed a motion for a new trial based on after-discovered Evidence having obtained leave, uh, having obtained leave from the Court of Appeals to suspend his appeal of his convictions to file the motion. 
His motion alleges that Rebecca Hill, the elected clerk of court for Colleton County, had extensive private communications with members of the jury during trial. The, this allegation was, was supported by sworn affidavits of jurors, of jurors, and, oh, lost my thread, of jurors and a witness to juror interviews, testimony, uh, testimony at in-camera proceedings, and other evidence, including Miss Hill's own book. So again, my issue with the book was never that she actually wrote a book because I, you know, she can write a book. That's it's the timing of all of it. And, uh, you know, there's a, and as, as you guys comment on the, um, in the comments below in the show, and you guys have reached out to me, you have suggested that they, there was even more malfeasance going on and more nefarious behavior and outside pressures from Neil Gordon to make the book. And that's why she was feeling pressures of the deadline because they really were racing against the clock to get the thing out of there. Because as we know, it's a self-published book and they, and they have self-imposed deadlines, but really they were at a race on a race on the, uh, uh, I don't, they were in a foot race with the clock to try to beat anyone else to the punch of coming out with a book, which I think is just absolutely, well, it's, it's all insane to me, but it's really asinine in my opinion, because you have an experience that you, that is unique to you, which is she was the clerk of courts during this huge trial. She read the verdict and you know, why, why talk, why even put any of this in jeopardy, which now of course is in jeopardy as we read this officially. So, uh, the, okay. So, and other evidence, including Miss Hill's own book, the subject matter of Miss Hill's book, alleged communication, uh, 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 the subject matter of Miss Hill's alleged communications was the evidence being, being presented at trial. Mr. Murdaugh alleges that an elected state official deliberately violated his constitutional right to a fair trial before an impartial jury. If that allegation is proven, the law requires a new trial. On December 21st, 2023, the court instructed the parties to submit pre-hearing briefs by January 3rd. On January 4th, the court instructed the parties to resubmit their briefs, answering the following questions directly. One, list all potential witnesses you plan to call during the evidentiary hearing. A, list any objections or challenges you plan to make to opposing parties' witnesses. I understand that you, you may not have an exact list, but you can predict the opposing side's intentions as far as witnesses. Two, list all exhibits you plan to introduce during the evidentiary hearing. Again, and I, wonder, I wonder what exhibit they're going to, what evidence they're going to use. Hmm. Hmm. List all exhibits you plan to use during, introduce during the evidentiary hearing. Again, list any objections or challenges to opposing parties' exhibits. Clarify your argument as to whether the defendant is entitled to a new trial or not. Specifically, clarify the argument you will make during the evidentiary hearing. I've already decided an evidentiary hearing will occur. The mere fact that I have set the matter to include an evidentiary hearing does not mean that I have decided any issue in the case at present any procedural issues which you may feel which you which you feel may affect the evidentiary healing hearing issues regarding the subpoena or specific witnesses your opposite your position regarding how the court should receive testimony oh i should turn the page for you guys too 
<laughs> Any other issues regarding the conduct for the hearing in the merits of this? Mr. Murdoch submits this revised brief organized under the issues as the court identified. Now, uh, the, the issues the court identified. After his response to point number five, Mr. Murdoch provides for issue preservation purposes responses to arguments the state asserted in its filed memoranda, which the court appears to have rejected or deemed moot. And now I know how to spell moot. Just kidding. I know how to spell moot. List all potential witnesses you plan to call during the evidentiary hearing. So we will scroll through. Yet it is the state, not Mr. Murdaugh, which has had the opportunity. Okay, so I'll actually read all this. In a criminal proceeding, the state must produce evidence proving guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. So I listened to the trial. I felt that that was pretty much the case from what everything that I heard. I did not watch it religiously. I watched bits and pieces of it. I caught a lot of it after the fact, after because I only became really interested in the case as it was as the trial was ending because I watched the documentary, as I've told you guys. But I did find, uh, oh, okay, this is beyond a reasonable doubt. However, however, if there are conversations that were happening with the clerk of courts, right, with the jurors, potential tampering or planting things of, of that has been alleged by the defense, like watch his body language or what don't believe what he's saying, or you know, consider what he's saying when he takes a stand. Um, those are all things that should not, this commentary that should not be happening. And again, I've said this many times. Okay. I'm not a, I'm not a legal professional. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not in law enforcement. I'm just a guy who has been through a lot of shit. And let me tell you something. The law has to work for the worst of us before it works for the best of us. And I know that Alec Murdoch, bad man, did a lot of horrific things. And, you know, uh, I I was listening to someone talk about Murdoch's, uh, you know, I have a friend who got hit by a bus and she's, you know, been, in, I mean, she's always going for tests and the brain thing, the scan, this, that. You got rear-ended by a bus on the 405 freeway here in Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, potentially like a multi-million dollar lawsuit. I'm like, but she's always in pain and she's got hip problems now and all this stuff. And, you know, walks, you know, she's experiencing a lot of, a lot of issues because of this. And so one of the things that somebody pointed out is these people who collect, who Murdoch collect and took this money from, right? These were not, this is not a lotto ticket for these people. And yes, the settlements were huge settlements, but most of the people, and the reason why they're huge settlements is they've lost limbs. Someone lost their life. Uh, they are not able to use their extremities. They might be confined to a wheelchair for the rest of their life because of what happened to them. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of times we're quick to, to sort of judge people, be like, oh, they won a bunch of money in a lawsuit. It was like, well, okay, well, what do they have happened? Because, you know, I, I would love to have millions of dollars one day, but in no way, shape or form do I want it because I got hit by a bus because I can't walk because somebody ran and blew through a stop sign when they were drunk. Like, I'm good. I'm good. Like, <laughs> I don't want, you know, so, and that's what makes Murdoch's crimes that he perpetrated against his clients and other victims that much worse because these people needed there, you know, some of these people have gone to palliative care or, you know, they are dependent upon caretakers and that money was supposed to be used for that. And, Again, it's not a lotto ticket like, hey, we're going to Rodeo Drive and go to Gucci. Let's spend money. 
it's not that at all. It's, it's that these people need this money to survive because they're not going to be able to work for the rest of their lives. And they're not, you know, so that's what makes his crimes all the more vile. So again, he's not a good person that said he deserves a fair trial, (laughs) deserves a fair trial. That's all I'm going to say about that. Because I don't want people to sort of misconstrue what I'm saying here just because, you know, it, 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 this is very, though these allegations are very serious, like this is a dude that's done the massive destruction that he has caused so many people and so many ancillary victims is is staggering. And, it's, it, you know, it's one of the, the impetuses of my film, A Murder in Mansfield, was I wanted to explore the consequences of violence, the destruction that is caused by violence and you know financial crime if, is also a form of violence in my opinion it's financial violence it's abuse of a system it's abuse of people who are very dependent upon this this money so when you start messing with that you you mess with families and you mess with futures and children it's it's, it's very very bad so um yeah he's a bad guy that's all i'm gonna say he's a bad guy bad guy and, uh, you know, I became very interested in how those things worked, which is why I made my film. That, I digress. So, um, similarly, in a civil proceeding, a party asserting a claim has the burden of production to produce evidence supporting its claim and the burden of persuasion to show it, ha- it, uh, show it, has, it has met the legal standard for the relief it seeks. Thus, in civil litigation, the adjunctive, Adjunctive proceeding is preceded by <laughs> proceeding is preceded by a delivery of disco- by a period of discovery in which compulsory process is available to the parties to marshal the evidence they will present to the fact finder. <laughs> a tongue twister, let me tell you. This is a criminal case, but the instant motion places Mr. Murdaugh in the position of a plaintiff in a civil proceeding. Mr. Murdaugh needs discovery because he has an affirmative case to prove. As the movant, Mr. Murdaugh has the burden of proving his claim for relief. Although no South Carolina case states the standard of proof applicable in this situation, the general rule for new trial motions based on unauthorized communication with jurors is that the standard of proof is a preponderance of the evidence. Mr. Murdaugh must make two showings by a preponderance of the evidence. One, extrajudicial content or communication uh extrajudicial extrajudicial contact or communications between the jurors and unauthorized persons occurred and two the contact of communica- contact or communications pertained to the matter before the jury for example state versus Berrios. Uh, quoting Ramirez versus state, bah, bah, bah. I don't know if those are, uh, I don't know if those are state of Cal- South Carolina, uh, cases or not. Braxton Berrios was the, is the one wide receiver for the Miami Dolphins though, who lost last night to the Kansas state chiefs in a negative 13 degree weather, uh, weather <laughs> game C with a doggy face. Thank you. Welcome. Mover nation welcomes you. Thank you so, so much. Uh, I greatly appreciate it. Oh, and by the way, I believe I have another another announcement here. Let me see. Hold on. Speaking of members and membership and people, uh, Ange- Angela B., welcome to the Patreon. Thank you so much for becoming a Patreon member. 
I greatly appreciate it. She joined shortly after, uh, or they joined shortly uh, there after my latest live. So Mover Nation welcomes you and welcome C, new member to the YouTube channel. Danielle Tamaro, hey, hey y'all, how you doing? Welcome back. Was I the only one who hoped KC lost solely because tired of seeing Taylor Swift every five seconds? No, you're not, Brian W. No, you're not. I think many people, I don't really care about Taylor Swift. I'm just tired of the Chiefs. Just to talk about football for a second, I'm so over the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm so, and I'm a 49ers fan, as I've pointed out. Here's my little Joe Montana starting lineup figurine on my desk, along with my Jerry Rice. There we go. They're a little bit before my time, but I still have them. They're legends. Um, but uh, in fact, I think when I was when I first came into like knowing who Joe Montana was, I think he was actually playing for the Kansas City Chiefs. But you know, it's all good. Uh, but no, Brian W., you're not. You're not. And you know what? I wanted to see the Miami Dolphins win just because I watch Hard Knocks, and I wanted to see a good story for Hard Knocks. I wanted to see Hard Knocks going for another another week. In the playoffs, I was super excited that they were doing the playoffs. And for those of you that don't know what Hard Knocks is, it's a show on HBO and it follows the football season and it follows. It started this year with the Jets and then it finished with the Dolphins. I mean, two, oh my goodness, just, but it's very well shot and it's very, very cool. Anyways, I digress. Back to what we're saying. Yet it is the state, not Mr. Murdoch, which has had the opportunity to conduct discovery for the past several months regarding Mr. Murdoch. Uh, Mr. Murdoch's claim using the tools available to law enforcement. It is well prepared. It is well prepared to bolster its witness, its witnesses and to impeach witnesses favorable to the defense. Mr. Murdoch has been unable to conduct any discovery whatsoever. All he has had are voluntary statements made by jurors and other witnesses willing to talk to his lawyers and information published by journalists. He received discovery from the state less than a week ago. At present, it is impossible for him to state with certainty which witnesses, uh, which witnesses he will call and which documents he will introduce as exhibits during the testimony of those witnesses. Hey, movers. Did you know that one in five Americans has learned a new language on their bucket list? If you're one of them, make 2024 the year you finally check it off with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Designed by over 150 language experts, Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are your passport to speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Real people, real conversations, that's the Babbel way. Babbel's tips and tools are not just lessons. Their companions in real-life situations. The approachable, accessible content is delivered through conversation-based teaching, ensuring you're ready to shine in the real world. Before Babbel, I couldn't imagine effortlessly ordering food, asking for directions, or chatting with local merchants, and all without consistently checking a language app while I'm on vacation. But Babbel makes it easy, providing the practical skills you need for real-life scenarios. Struggling with pronunciation? Babbel's got your back with speech recognition technology, helping you perfect your accent and sound like a native speaker in no time. Hola. Hola. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash collier. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash collier, spelled 
B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash Collier. Rules and restrictions may apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Interesting. And I'll go ahead and switch that slide too. Here we go. Uh, blah, 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 blah. With that important caveat, at present, Mr. Murdoch plans to call the following witnesses in his case in chief during the evidentiary hearing. Juror 254, juror 630, juror 741, juror 785, Rhonda McLevin, Barnwell County Clerk of Court. Now, Rhonda McLevin is considered, and I believe was written, maybe even in this in this book, this literary masterpiece right here, Behind the Doors of Justice. Oh, yeah, I'm still plugging, I'm like, I'm free publicity for the book. Every every idiot on YouTube is, is talking about this thing. So they're getting a lot of publicity out of it. Um, Rhonda McLevin is like besties with Becky Hill. And so that is something that's a little like, oh, okay. So now we're getting into this, which is uh, a very, very, very interesting little thing. Uh, the state must call Miss Hill to deny the allegations that she tampered with the jury. Depending on Ms. Hill's testimony, Mr. Murdaugh might call some of the following witnesses as rebuttal witnesses. Laura Hayes, former deputy clerk of court in Colleton County. Jeffrey Hill, former IT director for the Colleton County Courthouse. Jeffrey Colt Hill, who is Becky Hill's son, who has currently been indicted on wiretapping charges and uh, also some sexual misconduct and all kinds of just shenanigans. Uh, and these phones, which I had talked about the other day, these f- missing phones, disappearing text messages, all these things, this is all on his watch. Switching phone services. I mean, it's just, it's, it's also, it, the corruption is just crazy. Again, as I've said many times, this reads like a Carl Hyacin novel. It really does. The Honorable Clifton Newman, retired circuit court judge who had recused himself from doing this. Some people said he retired. I thought he retired, but then some people say he just recused himself. Anyways, because he was going to be a witness. So uh, Tim Stone, ex-husband of juror 785. I don't know who and I don't know who these jurors are uh, by number. Uh, Timothy Stone, original poster of the Facebook message presented to Judge Newman during the trial and included in the courts in the courts exhibit four, which I believe is related somehow to this egg juror, but don't quote me on that. Don't quote me on that. In fact, we can check that resource, the state murder. Let's see here. So I oftentimes will uh, bounce between publications. So Fitz News, as you guys know, I'm a big fan. They do some great work. Uh, they've been doing amazing work on all of this and breaking all these stories. And they're the ones that broke the Becky Hill thing. And they've done some great job, uh, a great job. Uh, however, I also bounced between this other paper, which I've been, which I have been um, uh, reading recently, which is called the state, which is 
part of the McClatchy, McClatchy Media Network. Uh, so I'm going to just switch over to them really fast and look, because I think they talked about this egg juror, juror 85. Okay. Um, the defense filing made it clear that Hill's credibility will be intensely scrutinized. Okay, so this is actually in here in the motion that I'm reading. Okay, got it. Uh, back to what I was saying. Because oh, I think one of these has to do with this egg juror who you guys so kindly pointed out is the woman who came back and asked for her eggs when she was dismissed from the jury towards the end of the trial, which honestly, like, I would probably say the same thing. And I guess she was ridiculed for it. Hey, I want my hard-boiled eggs too. They're good. And has anyone recently, I mean, I know recently they've gone down, but for a while, eggs were quite expensive in a lot of parts of the country. So, uh, you know, I can understand why she wanted her eggs back. <laughs> Timothy Stone, originally poster, original poster of the Facebook message. So, okay. Lori Weiss, employee of the, uh, employee of the clerk of court in Colleton County. List any objections or challenges you plan to make uh, you plan to make to opposing parties' witnesses. I understand you may not have an exact list, but I can predict the blah, 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 blah. Mr. Murdoch believes the state will call jurors, bailiffs, and court staff who were never or almost never in the jury room in which Miss Hill made her jury tampering statements to present a cascade of witnesses saying they never heard Miss Hill make inappropriate statements in the jury room to imply by false logic that she therefore did not make such statements. Now, this is the interesting thing. I mean, these lawyers are good. <laughs> these lawyers are good. And maybe, maybe, I mean, I think, I think this is good lawyering, you know, and I, again, I'm not a lawyer, but the fact that they are literally planting and saying before, you know, they are just getting ahead of themselves, which is great. I mean, well, it's not, it's, it's not great if you don't like Alec Murdoch, but it, they are being very professional in the fact of where they're saying, like, look, we know that the prosecution uh, is going to come out or the state is going to come out and say and throw all these witnesses to basically confuse the court. This is how I read this to try to to try to tell their version of events. But, you know, it's again, I talked about it, you know, a couple of days ago. Where when you see people who go to, again, not a lawyer, but this is, this is how the justice system works. When you go to trial or when you go and you, you see somebody who's been arraigned on, you know, countless amounts of charges and then those charges slowly get whittled down it's because they throw so much at the court and they only know that so much will stick. So, again, they're alleging that they will throw all of these statements to try to drown out the noise of Murdoch's attorneys. Right. Uh, because they're trying to say, well. Yeah, you're going to throw a bunch of people that are going to say, oh, we never saw this happen. Well, of course, you, why? Of course, you couldn't say for certain whether you didn't see it or saw it happen because you really weren't there to begin with. You know what I mean? I mean, I didn't see I didn't see <laughs> Becky Hill tamper with the jury. They could call me and I could say that. I mean, that's essentially what they're alleging, right? <laughs> they're alleging that they're going to call people who have nothing to do with this that weren't even in a position to be proud. I mean, they might as well call me and say, we were like, call your Landry to come down here and say, hey, call you. Did you ever see Becky Hill tamper with a tree? Well, no, I did not because I live in California and I didn't even know about this. this happening. <laughs> you know what I mean? So they're they're planting their little seeds, which is, you know, that's good lawyer, lawyering. These guys are pretty experienced. Uh, I mean, we'll see how all this plays out. When the jurors retired from the courtroom during trial, they spread across two different rooms. 
jurors 254, 572, 578, 589, 630, 741, 785 were in the actual courthouse jury room. Jurors 193, 326, 535, 44, 729, 826, and 864 were in Judge Perry Buckner's office. Miss Hill made her jury tampering statements to jurors in the jury room. Mr. Murdoch has no objection to the state calling other jurors who were in that room to testify that they never heard Ms. Hill make inappropriate statements. But Mr. Murdoch objects to calling jurors who were in a different room to testify that they never heard Ms. Hill make inappropriate statements. There are millions of people in South Carolina. Oh, see, there we go. Look at this. They're, they ha they're following my same logic. There are millions of people in South Carolina who did not hear Miss Hill say what certain jurors heard, heard her say because they were not in the room with them. Their testimony is not pro probative of whether Miss Hill, in fact, said what several jurors have said she said when they were together in the same room at the same time and is therefore inadmissible. So I guess they're not going to be calling me, sadly. Dick Harbutley and Jim Griffin will not be calling me to testify that Becky Hill did, that I did not see Becky Hill go in and tamper with the jury room. Bummer. Thought they were going to fly me out. I thought I was going to get to see Colleton County, which ironically, this hearing is going to take place in Richland County Courthouse, which uh, uh, I am from Richland County, Ohio, which is where in Richland County Courthouse in Mansfield, Ohio, is where my father's own trial took place so the parallels the weird woo, the weird parallels or paradox parallels something like that uh in this trial continue to uh with this case continue to parallel my own it's very very bizarre always gotta hydrate guys <clears throat> um so c rule providing evidence blah 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 Calling jurors who were in a separate office, bailiffs or court staff stationed in the other part of course is hardly more probative than calling jurors or court staff from other courthouses in South Carolina. Okay, so we've just read through all this. We're going to continue to read through it. But again, we, we got to stop. We got to stop and say, like, why is all this happening? Right. Why is this like, why are we getting into this? Brian, I'm really uh, tired of seeing and hearing about her during games, too. Who cares? <laughs> hey, guys, go easy on Taylor Swift. She's just a Chiefs fan. You know, hey, and to her credit, she was there. She came out and supported her, her guy, Travis Kelsey, in sub-zero temperatures. I don't know if I could have done that. I've been like, I'm staying home, honey. I granted she was in a heated luxury box. I don't know who goes to these NFL games in this weather. There's a guy yesterday with his shirt off, and I'm like, what are you doing? But I guess if you drink enough alcohol, you'll be warm. So there you go. Uh okay. Further, okay. Do, 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 do. Getting back to our little brief. Uh therefore. So I want to get to. All right, here we go. So now, all right, let's go to page six. C uh, rule 602, South Carolina RE, I don't know, RE stands for records. I don't know. Uh, a witness may not testify to a matter unless evidence is introduced sufficient to support a finding that the witness has personal knowledge of the matter. Further, Mr. Murdaugh will object to any questions posed to jurors that seek to invade the province, the province 
of their deliberations in violation of Rule 606B of the South Carolina Rules of Evidence. Oh, that's what that is. S-C-R-E. South Carolina Rules of Evidence. Specifically, he would object to questions such as, quote, would your decision have been the same if you had not been exposed to improper communications from the clerk of court or any third party? So, again, these guys are... These guys are really good at their lawyering. Let me let me tell you, they're very very good at their lawyering. Um, I am not, uh, uh, but I'm not surprised. That's why they get paid the big bucks. That's why they get paid the big bucks by Alec Murdoch. Um, Mr. Murdoch plans also plans to call Rhonda McLevin, the Barnwell County Clerk of Court, who assisted at the trial. The state presumably would object to her for the same reason Mr. Murdaugh objects to calling persons who were not in the jury room to say they never heard something allegedly said in the jury room. She was not in the jury room. Mr. Murdaugh, however, believes based on her sled interview. Now, again, South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, uh, which is currently has two open investigations. As of last week, they said two investigations against Becky Hill, obviously coming into this whole uh you know uh this whole investigation leading to this nonsense Mr. Murdoch however believes based on her sled interview that she would she will corroborate corroborate expected juror testimony about Miss Hill's statements because she will testify that Miss Hill made substantively substantively identical statements during uh, to her during trial and because she received several complaints from court staff about miss hill having inappropriate and excessive contacts with jurors she therefore may have personal knowledge of facts pro probative probative of whether miss hill made the statements jurors say she made if the state objects to her testimony mr murdaugh would ask the court to review her video recorded interview with sled and decide for itself whether her testimony would assist the court as a fact finder. If the court does so, however, it is important to review the video recording of her entire interview and not the sled memorandum summarizing it. So they're saying, read the actual interview, court. Oh boy. As explained in the discussion of the mode of witness examination, infra, the state's memoranda summarizing witness interviews are sometimes grossly inaccurate. And when they are, it is always a man manner in a manner that favors the state. I mean, these guys, I've read some legal briefs in my time. These guys are very thorough. They are leaving no stern, stone turnout, no stone unturned. But I think the reason why is, well, okay, yes, they're professionals and they're very good at their job, apparently. However, like they've been teeing this, they've been teeing this stuff up for ever. They really have. And Alec Murdoch being a lawyer. And look, I, you know, you guys have seen, I've interviewed Dr. Kenny Kinsey uh, months ago, talking about his role in the case. And he was talking about Alec Murdoch because I had asked him about Alec Murdoch's substance abuse and the pills and all that. And did this contribute to, you know, I, I thought, well, this maybe contribute to the, to the murder or whatever it is. Right. And um, uh, you know, he had said that Alec Murdoch was a very, very well-respected and very good lawyer. So the fact like, he's like, he wasn't, 
he was very very good at his job so apparently a lot of that is trans is is translating over to these legal briefs and and this motion for a new trial which is um you know it's when lawyers are representing lawyers oive <clears throat> three list all exhibits you plan to introduce during the evidentiary hearing the caveat about not having discovery applies even more forcefully regarding exhibits since exhibits are typically obtained through discovery. With that important caveat, at present, Mr. Murdoch plans to introduce the following exhibits in his case in his case in chief during the evidentiary hearing. Affidavits of jurors number 630 and 785. Recorded interviews of SLED with jurors 254 and 741 and Rhonda McLevin. It is impossible to specifically list all exhibits to be used in the cross-examination of Miss Hill without knowing her testimony. But the categories of exhibits will be her emails, text messages, telephone records, her book, recordings of her public statement and media interviews. Her affidavit in this matter, SLED's memorandum for her interview, her counsel would not permit SLED to record the interview, and, and court's exhibit number four from trial regarding the Facebook post issue. I really hope if this guy gets a new trial, which I personally, at this point, again, not a lawyer, <laughs> not a psychologist, not a law enforcement, just a guy who's been through a lot of shit. I personally feel like this is, uh, that he's going to get a new trial. And this statement right here, they're going to use her, her, her testimony, her, her testimony, obviously, but the categories of exhibits will be her emails, text messages, text messages, which were destroyed by her son, telephone records destroyed by her son and missing phones and wiped phones. And, oh, we don't know where the phone is. Uh, destroyed phones. They'll find it. They'll find them. I've been in litigation. They find your text messages. Not that I had any problem with them finding them, but I keep all my text messages. But, yeah, they can get at all this stuff. Uh, her book. I mean, it's just recordings of her public statements and media interviews. I mean, she was on the Today Show, right? I mean, <laughs> unbelievable. And the whole thing is all of this, including this little ditty right here, all of this calls everything. It's uh, seagulls having a lot of activity outside my window right now. I don't know if you can hear them. Seagulls and crows. I hear them both. Um, uh, this calls into, you know, all of this calls her credibility into question, which leads a lot of people to speculate if she is going to take the fifth amendment to not incriminate herself since she has two ongoing investigations into her conduct already by sled. So, which they confirmed this week. So then you have a, then you have a, um, the whole thing. Uh, you're welcome. Modema, Modema Rose. Thank you so much. Hey, Gen X Granny, you're very late or you are very early because normally, as you know, I'm on at, at six o'clock instead of at uh, four. What was it? Four o'clock. So, uh, you know, you're, you're two hours early. Let's look at it that way. <laughs> but welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, and please, uh, Gen X Granny will remind everybody uh, to click the uh, 
click that uh, like button and the subscribe button, all those fun things. Um, I'm embarrassed to say I was a firefighter there and did my senior year in high school in Colleton County. Th uh, thank gosh I moved far away. Yes, but uh, uh, you were a firefighter. I mean, hey, look, there's nothing wrong. Like, there's nothing wrong with anybody that lives in Colleton County, by the way. There's nothing wrong with any of these people that, that live there. It's not their fault. The fault is of the people who committed these actions. End of story. Sorry, this is a little throw space. The fault is all these uh, these people's actions and not taking accountability. <laughs> well, I didn't know. I didn't know it was, I shouldn't have done that. I didn't know I shouldn't have wrote a book. Okay. As they say, too, ignorance of the law is not an excuse not to follow the law. I mean, again, I would have no problem with Becky Hill making writing a book if it had happened, like, I don't know, a year after. Because all of this, you know, it would have been much harder to prove all of this, you know, if she did tamper with the jury, right, as they're alleging. If she they didn't have a book and her self-publicity, you know, her, her publicity tour you know around the around the country you know on all the news shows or wherever she can get you know you wouldn't have any of this problem this again is the thing you know consequences of your actions think about what you do before you do it ah the internet lives forever unfortunately and it is undefeated as i'm told there you have it there you have it Uh, <laughs> no reason to in the negatives. We just have a warning to watch our electricity consumption so we don't overload the grid and freeze to death. Uh, yeah, so Court McNeil, assistant uh, associate producer on the show, she lives in Alberta, Canada, where it is negative 45 or something, something absolutely Fahrenheit, uh, something absolutely ridiculous. Um, or maybe it's 45 to negative cent. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's absolutely horrific. Um, and as we have brownouts during the hot summers in Southern California, fortunately I live, live by the beach and don't run my air conditioner. Uh, <laughs> if your heat goes out, that's a big problem. Um, fireplaces I'm, I'm assuming are, are in firewood or, or a big deal these days. Um, anyways, that said it's, Sunny and 61, and I couldn't be happier. Uh, okay, list all exhibits you plan on introducing. Okay, so again, they're going to introduce her book. <laughs> Text messages, emails, Facebook posts. I mean, Facebook posts because you just couldn't control yourself, which her co-author, Neil Gordon, was talking about how he ran the Facebook page. So that was it. Again, list any objection or challenges to the opposing party's exhibits. Reserving all objections to, to calling particular witnesses or asking particular questions, Mr. Murdoch does not object to the use of witnesses, affidavits, written statements, or interview recordings, such as exhibits, uh, as exhibits when examining the witness who gave the affidavit, statement, or interview. Mr. Murdoch does not know what other documents the state may seek to introduce as exhibits. The state may object that exhibits used to impeach Ms. Hill are inadmissible under Rule 608B of the South Carolina Rules of Evidence, which allows inquiry on cross-examination into specific instances, uh, instances of conduct probative, 
to uh, prohibitive of truthfulness or untruthfulness, but prohibits proof of such instances by intrinsic evidence. But that rule does not apply to the witness's prior statements, which, if denied, may be proven by extrinsic evidence. State versus Fossick, the trial judge ruled the evidence inadmissible for impeachment under Rule 608B since the witness denied, blah, 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 blah. Clarify your argument as to whether the defendant is entitled to a new trial or not. A, Mr. Murdaugh does not need to show actual bias. So here's the... Here's the biggest and boldest statement here. Mr. Murdoch does not need to show actual bias on the part of any juror to obtain a new trial. If Mr. Murdoch proves his allegations that Miss Hill communicated with the jury about the evidence presented during his murder trial, the standard for deciding whether to grant a new trial is not whether the court believes the outcome of the trial would have been the same had Miss Hill's jury tampering not occurred. Quote, a defendant in a criminal prosecution is constitutionally guaranteed a fair trial by an impartial jury. And in order to fully safeguard this protection, it is required that the jury render its verdict free from outside influence. State versus Johnson. Where, quote, there was the private communication of, of the court official to members of the jury and occurrence which cannot be tolerated if the sanctity of the jury system is to be maintained, a new trial must be granted unless it clearly appears that the subject matter of the communication was harmless and could not have affected the verdict. So they're citing all this case law here. Otherwise, a new trial must be granted. Uh, asking the jury what it wants for lunch is clearly harmless. Telling it to not, not to believe the defendant when he testifies is not. The issue before the court is a structural issue in Mr. Murdaugh's trial, not a, fail, a failure to impanel unbiased jurors. When a, where a new trial is sought based on biases or partiality jurors brought with them into the trial, required standard is to show actual bias, whether those biases were facts jurors concealed during their voir dire which is when they when they ask them questions and say, hey, um, you know, do you can you be an impartial juror? If you've ever served jury duty, they ask you a litany of questions to see whether or not you're going to be a good juror. Uh, facts were concealed during voir, voir dire. Um, were biases created by state action during the voir dire? Were biases resulting from jurors reading newspapers or other unauthorized materials during trial or in initiating inappropriate communications during trial or the like? The present case is different because a state official instructed, jur instructed jurors how to view the defense case outside the presence of the court, the defendant and his counsel, and in other ways deliberately and surreptitiously used her official authority to direct the verdict to her preferred outcome. This is, unfortunately, uh, this is, uh, this is fortunately a vanishingly rare event, but it is one that requires a new trial. I mean, there you go. Right there. The crux of their argument. The Cameron Court's distinction between the communication being harmless and the subject matter of the communication being harmless and its requirement that a new trial be granted unless the latter is established 
recognizes the deliberate jury tampering by a court official cannot be cured or excused by the strength of the evidence presented at trial or jurors offering their own subjective opinions regarding their own biases. Even if every juror were to testify that he or she would have reached the same verdict regardless of Miss Hill's tampering, a new trial is required if it is proven that Miss Hill communicated with the jurors about the merits of the evidence presented. Sustaining a conviction based on the court's opinion, the strength of the evidence against the accused, regardless of improper external influences on the jury from court officials about the merits of the case, would effectively be a directed verdict for the prosecution, a statement that whatever happened at trial simply does not matter because the evidence can only admit only one result regardless. Now they cite more case law, case law, case law, case law, case law. B, page 12. The state misstates the controlling legal standard and provides no authority supporting its mistaken position. In response to Mr. Murdaugh's motion for a new trial, the state incorrectly asserts that Murdaugh, quote, must show both that the alleged improper communications occurred, that jurors were actually biased as a result. Response in opposition to a motion to new trial, section 3-2. The state can cite no authority supporting that proposition. The state's response includes citations to several cases purportedly supporting its position, but not one cited case actually supports it. State versus Kelly. The state provides no parenthetical explanation of how Kelly supports its position because the case has nothing to do with the present motion. In Kelly, a juror was accused of misconduct, not a court official. During the guilt phase of a capital trial, a juror provided a pamphlet purportedly expressing God's views on capital punishment to other jurors in the room. The trial judge dismissed the offending juror, but determined that a mistrial was not warranted because it was not relevant to the issues issues in the guilt phase of the trial and because, quote, no other juror had been exposed to the contents of the pamphlet. Ooh, yeah, I mean, that looks like that has nothing to do with what they're talking about. Because again, that was for sentencing, not for finding guilt or innocence. Oh my goodness. I mean, when you read through this thing, you just kind of go, um, you, I, I just don't see how you don't have a retrial. I really don't. It's it's wild to think that that could actually be something that would happen. Uh, The Supreme Court affirmed Chief Justice Finney and Justice Toll dissented, arguing the inappropriate possession. So they're using the judge who is sitting in front of the case to uh, their own stuff. This is in State uh, versus Kelly, uh, where Judge Toll had dissented. The Supreme Court affirmed that Chief Justice Finney and Justice Toll dissented, arguing inappropriate possess- the inappropriate possession and use of the extraneous pamphlet by jury members so tainted the jury that its contents affected the ability of the jury to be fair and impartial at both guilt and the penalty phases of the appellant's bifurcated trial. Well, that's interesting. Um, so, interestingly enough, Judge Toll as we can see here, if I can zoom in here, I guess I cannot. Huh. So 
they are they're referencing Justice Jean Toll, who is going to be presiding over this whole motion for a retrial. And her dissension saying, well, no, this tampering did. That's a pamphlet that was presented post-sentencing or post-conviction, they're asserting, which was upheld by the, uh, the South Carolina Supreme Court. But Justice Toll said, no, that totally swayed the jury. So based upon that alone, you've got to come to the conclusion. You have to come to the conclusion that she might indeed find for a new trial for Murdoch. I'll say it again. Based upon that statement, Chief Justice Toll dissented, arguing, quote, the inappropriate possession and use of the extraneous pamphlet by jury members so tainted the jury that its contents affected the ability of the jury to be fair and impartial at both the guilt and penalty phases of the appellant's bifurcated trial. Which would lead me to believe that she may find for him to have a new trial. This is just speculation. This is just conjecture. I'm just throwing it out there. But because they're referencing the same judge that's sitting to hear this matter before the court, this to me suggests that maybe she might, she might be inclined as she had in the past when something is obviously blatant that she might find for that he needs a new trial. Which is nuts, which is nuts to me. Nuts that it's come to this. Regardless, as in the Holmes case that provides the controlling legal standard quoted in Cameron, here there is more than jury misconduct in reading forbidden matter. There was the private communication of the court official to members of the jury, an occurrence which cannot be tolerated in the sanctity of the jury system is to be maintained. If the sanctity of the jury system is to be maintained. When there has been such a communication, a new trial must be granted unless it clearly appears that the subject matter of the communication was harmless and could not have affected the verdict. As I said earlier in the brief, things like a lunch order, for example, don't matter. And they're not going to argue that. This is just nutty. Nutty to me. I'm going to skip forward a little more. Yes, I agree, Dave Bass. I would say the same thing. Have a wonderful day, Catherine, Catherine Billinghurst. Uh, this can't be the way it works in other states. I mean, it, it, it leads you to believe, like, is this how it works in other states? Like, is this, how often does this happen in the law? How often do these things slip through the cracks? It makes you think, that's for sure. Breakfast time. See you all in the next live. Enjoy your breakfast, Catherine Billinghurst. That's fabulous. C, South Carolina case law provides the controlling legal standard. As discussed above, the burden shifting, the burden shifting described in Remmer is not relevant to this case because the alleged communications were by a court official to at least one deliberating juror and it arguably pertained to the merits of the case being tried. This is because South Carolina case law, because South Carolina case law, Cameron provides the legal standard, not Remmer. 
If Mr. Murdoch proves that the clerk of court engaged in surreptitious advocacy on the merits during, during trial, there is nothing for the state to rebut. A new trial is required. Now they bring up the Sixth, Sport, the, <clears throat> the Sixth Amendment, right to an impartial jury. Uh, U.S. Supreme Court decisions, in particular Parker versus Gladden, control the decision here only insofar as they establish, quote, a floor below which the protections of South Carolina constitutional and decisional law cannot fall. As the Supreme Court of Utah recently stated in a case alleging improper jury contact by a bailiff, quote, still the Sixth Amendment right to an impartial jury was incorporated against the state's through the 14th Amendment in Parker versus Gladden. <clears throat> As such, the Sixth Amendment forms the floor below, with, below which the Utah Constitution's protections cannot fall. So, again, states, if you know your government, states and state law and federal law, uh, but the constitutional protections of the U.S. Constitution, the states cannot go below that which is interesting. Man, maybe I should have been a lawyer. No, I don't think I have the stomach for it, honestly. But this is all very fascinating to me as I'm reading through it live right here with you guys. Um, I'm going to just... D, page 18. In addition... To juror bias, bias issues, a state's official surreptitious act advocacy to the jury outside the courtroom creates a structural error in the conduct of the trial. It has long been held to be a structural error for a state actor to engage in ex parte advocacy during the jury trial. Ex parte. Uh, during the jury trial, the requirement that a jury's verdict must be based upon the evidence developed at the trial goes to the fundamental integrity of all that is embraced in the constitutional concept of trial by jury. The evidence developed against a defendant shall come in uh, from the witness uh, witness stand in a public courtroom where there is a full is full judicial protection of the defendant's right of confrontation of cross examination of counsel. Page 19. In the ultimate analysis, the principle is ancient and foundation is as is ancient and foundational to our jury system. The ultimate analysis of uh, the ultimate in the ultimate analysis, the only only the jury can strip a man of his liberty or his life. In the language of Lord Coke, Coca-Cola, founder of Coca-Cola, <laughs> father of Coca-Cola, a juror must be as indifferent as he stands, un, unsworn. His verdict must be based upon the evidence developed at the trial. This is true regardless of the heinousness of the crime charge, the apparent, uh, the apparent guilt of the offender, or the station in life which he occupies. It was so written into our law as early as 1807 by Chief Justice Marshall in one Burr's trial. Indeed, what is now called the Remmer presumption is far older than the 1954 Remmer decision. Private communications, possibly prejudicial, 
between jurors and third persons or witnesses or the officer in charge are absolutely forbidden and invalidate the verdict, at least unless their harmlessness is made to appear. It is well settled that it is not necessary to show the minds of the jury, show that the minds of the jury or if any member of it were influenced, it is sufficient to show the intermeddling did take place to set aside the verdict. Too much strictness cannot be exercised in guarding, making sure we're all on the same page here, literally, uh, exercised in guarding, uh, lost my train, lost my, lost my spot, lost my spot, in guarding trials by jury from improper influence. It has been said that, quote, this strictness is necessary to give confidence to parties in the results of their cases. Oh, other causes. And everyone ought to know that for any, even the, le even the least intermeddling with jurors, a verdict will always be set aside. Oy vey. If anything deserves an oy vey, this is it. All right. Letter E. Mr. Murdaugh will argue it, argue that a preponderance of the evidence shows Miss Hill made statements to at least one deliberating juror about the merits of evidence presented at trial. If they testify consistently with their affidavits and witness interviews, juror 630 will testify. Miss Hill said they should not be fooled by the defense and they should watch Mr. Murdaugh's body language with suspicion when he testified in his own defense. Juror 785 will testify that Miss Hill told them not to be fooled by the uh, not not to be fooled by the defense. Juror seven forty one will testify that Miss Hill told them not to let the defense confuse or convince them. And juror two fifty four will testify that Miss Hill told them to watch Mr. Murdaugh's body language when he testified in his own defense. Miss Miss Glevin will testify that some of those statements are substantively identical to statements Miss Hill made directly to her during trial and that staff were complaining to her about Miss Hill's excessive contact with the jury. Any other jurors called to testify will only be able to state that they never heard those comments made uh, by Miss Hill. The only witness to directly contradict the testimony of these jurors will be Miss Hill. But even she admits she met with the jury for person, quote, a few times to discuss, quote, jurors who were having a hard time with anxiety during the trial and the four persons, quote, ability to keep the peace within the jury room due to many large personalities. Miss Hill's denial should not be credited because her many acts of fraud and dishonesty will be explored and detailed during cross-examination demonstrate that she has a character for untruthfulness. <sighs> and can you argue with them? Can you argue with them? With Miss Hill's denials uncredited, the juror, te the juror testimony will be uncontroverted. Moreover, jurors 254, 637, 41, and 785 have not appeared on television or otherwise given interviews or sought any publicity for themselves. They have not sought any payment for their story. They did not seek to be placed on this jury and have maintained their anonymity ever since. And they have, been, they have nothing to gain from false testimony. Their testimony, therefore, should be credited over the testimony of a clerk of court who has been repeatedly caught seeking wrongful money and publicity from this case 
even going so far as to writing a book about the case that was removed from publication for her plagiarism. Defense rests. How can you argue with any of that? <laughs> any of that? It's all there. Oh, I can't rub my eyes. Ah. I'm not supposed to touch my eyes after the surgery. For three months. Or two, two and a half months now. This is wild. I mean, they got her red-handed. I don't even know what she I don't even know what she do about that. It's just, it's bad. It's very, 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 very bad. Very, very bad. And the book is now removed from Amazon, Karen Fan said. That's good to know. Uh, well, we've got a little longer than uh, we normally do. Any procedural issues you feel may affect the evidentiary hearing? A, issues regarding the subpoena for specific witnesses. Mr. Murdoch requests that the court issue a subpoena for each of the jurors and witnesses identified in response to question number one. He also requests that the court that the court issue a issue a forthwith order compelling the immediate production of documents subpoenaed by any party so that the documents may be reviewed in advance of the hearing. Further, he requests that each party be compelled to produce all documents received in response to a subpoena to the other party immediately upon receipt. B, your position regarding how the court should receive testimony, whether any witness testimony should be conducted in camera rather than in open court. Mr. Murdaugh believes good cause exists for the court to conduct the examination of jurors in camera, on television, involuntarily, or sorry, in camera, with a redacted transcript provided to the public. In addition to shielding jurors from appearing on television involuntarily, an in-camera examination is necessary because it will be difficult for a juror to testify without revealing personally identifying information like his or her name or the names of other jurors. By testifying in camera, jurors may speak freely with any personal information in their testimony redacted from from the publicly available transcript. Mr. Murdoch previously took the position that jurors should be examined by the court rather than by counsel, with the court accepting suggested questions from the parties in advance of the examination and during the examination, which the court, in its discretion, may or may not ask. Mr. Murdoch's reasoning was was that jurors may be unsettled by being interrogated by the same lawyers they watched interrogate witnesses for six weeks. However... After receiving the SLED's video recordings from and summary memoranda of juror interviews, Mr. Murdoch's counsel are concerned, are concerned that the court may not have sufficient information to examine jurors effectively. The interview memoranda are sometimes grossly inaccurate. For example, Ms. McClevin told investigators that court staff asked her to speak to Ms. Hill about her excessive contacts with jurors, including at Walmart, <laughs> and that Ms. Hill was working on a book during trial and gave an author a seat with court staff in the well of the courtroom from where she could be she could see sealed exhibits overruling objections by stating quote well they'll just have to do what i want today unquote really oy vey oy vey 
For some reason, none of that made it into the interview memorandum. Thus, to examine jurors effectively, the court would at least need to watch the entire sled interview for each testifying juror. And to the extent the jurors speak about other jurors or staff, the interviews for those jurors or staff as well. With only 19 days before the evidentiary hearing, counsel is best equipped to review this information in preparation for the questioning, requesting rather than the court. Oh, man, this is just wild. Oh, look at this. Look, I found a new way to present that. Okay, now I can be big and I can see. Oh, this is fabulous. Look at this. Now I can present. Oh, this is, I love this. Picture in picture layout. I need to save this. Sorry, guys, I got excited because I found new stuff to play with on the lives. The news layout, they call this. We're going to do that. I got I to gotta put gel in my hair before I go to this wedding. And get dressed. Uh, okay. What are we on? 22? Hang on here. Um, Ms. McClevin was not a juror, of course, but is used as an example in this brief to preserve juror privacy. The point is the same for any sled interview. I mean, it's just crazy. Any other issues regarding the conduct for the hearing and the merits of the notion? 25. Uh, Mr. Murdoch needs wide latitude in impeaching Ms. Hill. Ms. Hill has provided an affidavit that contradicts the sworn and unsworn statements of many jurors. As a result, Ms. Hill's credibility will be a central issue in this evidentiary hearing. For this reason, counsel requests wide latitude in examining Ms. Hill if she called as a, if she is called as a witness by the state. Mr. Mr. Murdoch anticipates the only person who can directly contradict jurors who witnessed Ms. Hill's jury tampering is... Miss Hill. Mr. Murdaugh, therefore, must present evidence corroborating juror 630's testimony, including testimony from the alternate juror and juror 785, who, who was dismissed on the last day of the trial, which I think is the egg lady or egg juror, and possibly testimony from the court staff. He must also present evidence impeaching Miss Hill. Evidence impeaching Miss Hill includes, ready for it, her emails, text messages, and telephone records. Testimony from court staff, testimony and documentary evidence from persons involved in the production of her book, complaints against Miss Hill, and the results of investigations into Miss Hill's wrongdoing. It includes evidence related to her involvement in the removal of Juror 785, not because the removal itself is grounds for a new trial, but because Juror 785 has averred Miss Hill was involved with her removal in an improper and dishonest way that, if true, would serve to impeach Miss Hill's credibility. Both witnesses and documentary evidence regarding the alleged, allegedly fabricated Facebook posts, which ultimately did not cause Juror 785 to be removed, and witnesses and documentary evidence regarding Juror 785's alleged statements to her tenants during trial, which ultimately did cause Juror 785 to be re removed are relevant to Miss Hill's credibility. Evidence impeaching Miss Hill also inclu includes evidence demonstrating her personal interest in the outcome of the trial and willingness to engage in obviously inappropriate conduct to further that personal interest. Ready for it? 
to further that personal <laughs> interest. You mean like write a book? Write a book? Is that what you mean? This is just all so unfortunate. There will be much evidence to present that impeaches Miss Hill. The state may argue presenting it would be accumulative or repetitive or otherwise unnecessary, but evidence is cumulative only when it, quote, supports a fact established by the existing evidence. And so, yeah. Yes, Karen Fan, that is true because Neil Gordon, oh, how do we show this? There we go. Uh, because Neil Gordon said that he's the one who put it up, decided to put that photograph on Facebook, but said that it came from a court monitor outside the courtroom. Obviously not looking at the photograph to see that Miss Hill had personal photos of her family behind said ViewSonic monitor. They said it was a ViewSonic monitor. <sighs> my. My, 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 my. But you know that good old boy system is a way of life and it wouldn't have been a problem except Jim and Poot, Jim Griffin and Jim uh, Dick Harpootlian wanted to use it to their advantage. Well, yeah, they're lawyers. Lawyers will be lawyers. I mean, we're not we're not upholding that these are people of I mean, I don't know. I don't know them. I'm not going to try to impeach them here and, and their impeach their character cuz I don't know these people from Adam. But, you know, they're going to be lawyers. They're doing what they're supposed to do. And all I know is that this woman did not do what she wanted to do. T Lemon. Oh boy. Unbelievable. Oh boy. Uh, B, counsel for non-parties should not be permitted to participate in these proceedings. Attorney Eric Bland is requested to participate in these proceedings as counsel for certain jurors who may be called to testify as witnesses. Mr. Murdaugh objects to Mr. Bland's request. This is a criminal proceeding brought by the state against the defendant. Mr. Bland seeks a level uh, of non-party participation, for example, participating in status conferences beyond even the rights afforded victims under Article uh, 124 of the South Carolina Constitution and the jurors he represents are not crime victims. That's interesting. In discussing his request in the media, Mr. Bland stated on his podcast, Cup of Justice, Episode 6 from 61, from December 26, 2023, that Justice Toll, the newly assigned presiding judge in this matter, quote, has friends sometimes to reward and enemies to punish, unquote. And, quote, I worry about what procedures are going to be put in place. And f uh, the fact that there was a status conference and, you know, I represent four jurors and I wasn't even told at the status conference. And I believe that my jurors have a right, have the right to legal representation, any type of proceeding dealing with Alex Murdaugh's verdicts where they're going to have their verdicts questioned, unquote. His stated intent is not to protect the personal interests of his clients as witnesses, but to advocate and sustain their verdict to allow a publicity seeking lawyer 
for non-victim private parties to intervene in this criminal case and advocate against Mr. Murdaugh as an additional opposing party would violate Mr. Murdaugh's procedural due process rights under Article 1, 3 of the South Carolina Constitution and the 14th Amendment. <laughs> so, so Murdaugh's publicity-seeking lawyers do not are objective of another publicity-seeking lawyer. Hi, pot, meet kettle. <laughs> nice to meet you both. Uh, let's throw stones in that glass house. Oy vey. <laughs> the, uh, again, this reads like this reads like a Carl Hyacin novel. Like you can't make this stuff up. It's it's pretty crazy to me. Um It's just wild to me. The court must hold an, uh, responsive arguments to, or, on decided or moot issues presented for issue preservation. The court must hold an evidentiary hearing. The state's response argues Mr. Murdaugh has failed to show that he is entitled to an evidentiary hearing. The court has instructed counsel that it, quote, already has decided an, ev evidentiary hearing, an evidentiary hearing will occur. Nevertheless, because the state has made the argument in a filed memorandum and no filed order has addressed it directly, Mr. Murdaugh provides the following rebuttal for preservation purposes. As the state correctly argued before the Court of Appeals, the standard to suspend the direct appeal and, and for leave to file a motion for a new trial is prima facie, prima facie, yeah, showing an entitlement showing of an entitlement for relief return to motion to suspend appeal for leave to for leave to file motion for a new trial state versus Murdaugh appellate case blah 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 the state's motions to strike should be denied in response to the motion for a new trial the state removes the state moves to strike quote affidavits and paralegal holly uh, the affidavits of paralegal holly miller anything uh, anything statements regarding jury deliberations and three any claims regarding facebook posts miss hill's book deal or post-trial media interactions it is unclear what purpose striking anything from the motion for a new trial would accomplish given that it is the law of the case the prima facie case is facci or however you pronounce it has been has been made that an evidentiary hearing is therefore prima fascia Prima fascia, prima fasci, fascia. Based on the first impression, accepted as correct until proved otherwise. I don't know all the legal jargon, guys. As I say, not a lawyer, not a lawyer. But uh, I'll screen cap that so I can learn, because I love doing that. Um, given that it is the <laughs> the law of the case that prima fascia has been scheduled. And the motion will be decided on the evidence presented to the court at the hearing and not on attorney argument made before the court receives any evidence whatsoever. Nevertheless, the state makes the argument. Mr. Murdaugh will briefly rebut it. <clears throat> First, the evidence of Holly Miller were offered only as evidence as to what certain jurors would say if called to testify in an evidentiary hearing. Of course, they are they are all hearsay. Second, there is no basis for the state's motion to strike references to jury deliberations. Juror 630's affidavit was freely given to support the public filing. To support the public filing, other jurors have spoken about the deliberations 
in national television interviews. Such statements may or may not be admissible as evidence in at the merits evidentiary hearing. But Rule 606 of the South Carolina Rules of Evidence in no way supports striking public statements from a motion memorandum. Third, the state correctly notes that the only ref- relevance of the Facebook post Miss Hill fabricated to remove juror 785, her book plans, or her other post-trial actions is to impeach Miss Hill. The state argues attacking Miss Hill's character is an outlandish theory against a dedicated public servant and that it that is immaterial impertinent and scandalous and should be struck well they they must have written that a long time ago because of all these of all the things that have come out recently i don't know how they could in good consciousness write that and make that um yeah come on come on guys you don't really believe that do you oy vey uh and that's it the conclusion for the foregoing reasons mr murdoch respectively Submits that when Miss Hill's jury tempering is proven at the evidentiary hearing, the court must grant the motion for a new trial. At this point, I don't see how he doesn't get it. That's wild. What a craziness. Uh, Mover Nation, we get through another one. Happy Sunday to everyone. Thank you again, wherever you're listening, uh, however you've been tuning in, wherever you may be, however you may be listening, watching. Thanks for making me a part of your day. I greatly appreciate it. I want to say a big thank you and shout out to my YouTube channel members and my Patreon patron supporters. Thank you all so much for your support. And Angela B., our newest Patreon member who joined last a uh, couple of days ago, thank you so much for joining. Uh, we will be having our monthly meet and greet coming up here in the next like week or so. And uh, so check it out. I will be posting on uh, in the members section of this YouTube channel and also on my Patreon page if you guys want to check it out. I am off to a wedding to watch the nuptials between my dear friend Danny and Ra- dear friends Danny and Rachel. And uh, we will see how all that goes. Um, and as they move on in holy matrimony, or well, they're Jewish, so is it holy matrimony? I don't know. But they're underneath the chuba and they'll smash the cup, and we all say Mazel Tov, and then there you go. Anyways, on that note, Mover Nation, I will see y'all on the next one. I'm Collier Landry. Have a great Sunday. This podcast is made possible by support from listeners just like you. For exclusive content around this podcast, please consider supporting me via Patreon by going to collierlandry.com forward slash support. Please subscribe via Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from, and please leave us a five-star review. If you want to see video episodes of this podcast, please check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash collierlandry. You can find links to additional resources in the show notes of today's episode. This podcast is a production of Don't Touch My Radio. Copyright, Collier Landry.